This is a HeadGum Podcast. Thanks for listening to No Joke with Billy and Adam on the HeadGum Podcast Network. This is the show where Billy and I tackle a topic oh so loosely and discuss our previous, present, and future experience with it. Today's topic was ceremonies. We hope you enjoy the No Joke Podcast. Okay, welcome back. This is the No Joke Podcast. I am Billy Scafuri. I'm Adam Lustick. And it is time for another episode. It's Friday. We're back in this delicious studio. This studio, we should just say for all the viewers, gets like doper and doper and doper as we progress. Yes. These headgum dudes are doing it right. We have the fun little headgum microphone cubes. Jake, Amir, and Marty are the type of guys who always have like a cool new like accessory either on their body that is definitely true they're like uh, what are they called early adopters they're super early adopters yeah when the apple watch was coming out yes. i remember i was just becoming friends with marty yes. the third founder of headgum yes and i was like is that something that you're into the apple watch is like dude i already ordered it it's and like, i looked at him i was like really and yeah he, and he actually self-referentially called himself an early adopter. <laughs> he goes i'm an early adopter uh, i was like huh and that's, certain... a, and that's a nickname that you can give yourself. That's exactly you know what, I mean? what like, I was going that's, to say. It's not even a nickname. It's like that. You can – I big up Marty for identifying as an early adopter. Right. I don't think that that's like weird or arrogant at all. That's just fact. That reminds me <laughs> of – I lived in Queens about eight, ten years ago. And if you live in Queens, ideally you're friends with like your neighbor upstairs. Yeah. You, you know, almost you, can't not be. Yeah. yeah. And so ideally you're friends with them. <laughs> yeah. And my neighbor upstairs was this dude named Ray. Yeah. You know Ray. Oh, yeah. You, you remember Ray? Yes, that's right. He was the type of dude who would just like knock on your door and just like watch the game with you. And it Great. wasn't uncomfortable. Not at all. It was that weird thing where I'm a person who likes privacy. Right. But, but this dude had like carte blanche to hang out with me. The good Kramer. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I remember we were hanging out at his place upstairs once. Yeah. And he, you and I had just uh, maybe put out our first rap album. That's right. It was right around that time. Not Ready to Die. Yes. Um, and he had come to a show of our Snake show yep. at UCB. We used to do midnight concerts at UCB. That's right. Check out our music at snakesmusic.bandcamp.com. And Ray, we were sitting there hanging out, and he looked at me with sincerity in his eyes. And he's like, I got to tell you something that I appreciate about you. And I was like, wow, okay. okay here we go. Gonna be a Unsolicited compliment. Yeah, here it comes. <laughs> and he goes, I really appreciate that you and Adam are able to, with confidence, call yourself rappers. He's like, that's a not an easy thing for two white guys yeah, who are vaguely like, doing it in the comedy rap world right. to also just be confident enough to be like, yes, we are rappers. We now. rap. We rap. And it, so what I bring this up because sometimes it's hard to call yourself things. I early adopt. Right? That's what I do. Much like calling yourself an early adopter, we were able to call ourselves rappers, and now you are just it. You are it. Yes, exactly. I yes. was on Marty and Jake and Amir on the first wave of emails. Yes. Just like the, what that comes from Apple.com. They're on the first. When we walked into the studio today, Marty was wearing yet another ill pair of Adidas. I was like, dude, sick perfectly white clean sneakers he was like my friend works at adidas mails me like maybe four shoes uh, four pairs every time i ask yeah, yeah or don't even ask i mean we've been selling merch and the conversation of advertisements have been floating That's around right. and i think the next goal adam that you and i should uh go for yeah for the podcast yeah is to just be given cool shoes give us shoes so if you are adidas if you're mr adidas jeff or janet adidas right please please mail us your gear because nothing says cool shoes like never seeing them 
them while we record a podcast. Okay. Think of your brand awareness. Think how far it will go when people never see the shoes we're wearing because we're recording a podcast. If you want your sneakers heard but not seen, you send them to Billy and Adam <laughs> at the HeadGum Address, Los Angeles, USA, and we'll get those sneakers definitely not seen no. but heard. But worn. <laughs> worn. <laughs> worn and silently heard. Right. Yeah. Man, selling out has gotten to our heads. Yeah, it's now gotten we have demands. We're demanding things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We become these materialistic pricks all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, but we are actually uh, – sort of relates to the topic today because um, we are going to be talking today about ceremonies. Right. And ceremony in general. Right. Uh, and sort of formal ceremonies, which is something that you and I – we're not formal guys. Right. Uh, your legs are up on the table in a casual posture right now. Yes. Um, You're in your traditional – Half fetal. <laughs> I'm half fetusing. Uh, you're sprawled out and relaxed. Right. So we're not formal guys that stand on ceremony. Ceremonies to me are a little stressful mm -hmm. because they come with these like a set of rules that you have to do. Right. You have to operate in the collective. Yes. And sometimes that can feel a little claustrophobic. A little restrictive. Me. Yeah. Yeah, we, I mean, I think that there are, I don't want to be reductive and say there are two types of people, but there are people who enjoy following rules and yeah. sets of guidelines. Right. And that provides them with comfort and solace. And it's exciting to work within a structure of a traditional wedding, let's say, or a bachelor party or a birthday party. And it's or a relief anything. to be told what we're doing today. Precisely right. Right. And there's others, and I would say that you and I fall into this category. Uh, well, I can, I'll speak for myself. I certainly fall into this category. Who immediately, when there is even the uh, implication of a rule, right. I immediately uh, reject and resent the fact that there are any rules whatsoever. Right. So I think that's why I, have, I, I am unceremonious Do you, do you find ways. yourself resenting the rule or do you find yourself resenting the fact that a rule has been brought upon you? The second one, the latter. Right. It's never the rule itself. Rules are good for society. We right. need rules. Right. <laughs> but it's the idea that someone is telling Telling me what to do ever, anytime. This reminds me of, I think it was Comedians in Cars getting coffee with Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David. Oh, good. But they were talking about how they've never had a boss. <laughs> yeah. Like a, and not in a prick way where it's like, we've always been the boss, but rather like, we've never worked in a structure where there are people always above us telling us what to do and then we have to do it. Yeah. And the mere thought of them operating in a world yeah. where like other adults were telling them what to do and them just doing it was hysterical yeah. to them. <laughs> They were literally laughing at yeah. the thought of it. And we're not there yet, but I can relate with you and I to that, where it's like we've never had a traditional, like, this is how a corporate hierarchy works. Oh, God. These are the rules. You fall in line. <laughs> if you step out of line, it will affect everyone around you. The closest thing that you and I had to this, I mean, we've addressed this on the podcast a handful of times, but you and I and a lot of our friends used to work for this fairly buttoned-up corporate catering company yes. in New York, and that was – Corporate. Right. I mean, that was like paychecks from a parent company, thousands of employees right. all over the country, and just like you're a number. However, I would say the difference between that corporate company and another corporate company that might exist in the city is that when you work in like a Charles Schwab or a big company – your attitude has to be, you know, what is best for me, what is best for the company. Right. You know, you need to kind of really fall in line. I would say that us at the catering company, our philosophy was fire me. Fire me. I dare I dare you. I will show up covered <laughs> in split pea soup so, and you will accept my appearance. We are uh, – and we were like sort of both unconsciously – maybe you unconsciously but me maybe a little more consciously rebelling against these uh, – even the slightest rule. For example, keep your uniform clean. Right. Now, that's a rule that is understandable, beneficial official and only makes sense. And that's also a good rule to be a human being. Honestly. Go outside and present yourself in as clean clothes as you can. Because the thing is, like, have self-respect. Right. Like, it's not just for the client's sake. It's like, have self-respect. That should be in the guidebook, page one. Yeah. 
have self-respect as an employee. And as a human on Earth. That's asking a lot for guys like you and I. It was As soon as I was like, keep my uniform clean, I was like, who the F do you think you are to tell me how clean to keep my anything? I am going to res- – I resent – I resent the direction. I am not only going to never – ever wash my uniform not once ever and that is not hyperbole folks no. they gave us a budget within our paycheck <laughs> to bring our clothes to dry yeah, cleaning they covered and it for us adam's clothes were there's not an adjective strong enough for me to describe it disgusting truly honestly like okay so if bread gets old it gets hard yeah and then it it kind of hurts your fingers to touch yeah that was adam's <laughs> jacket it got old Brittle. and hard, and it wouldn't fold. You would have to, like, crack it a yeah, little Yeah, you could feel like you could snap the sleeve right off because it was caked in dried potatoes. So and you this, could just, like, crack it off. And this was his shirt that he would then cater in to millionaires at Lincoln Center. Yes, including Stephen Colbert and Barbara Walters and President William Jefferson Clinton. Right. Maybe it's William Jeffrey. I don't know his middle name. That's fine. But regard, regardless, uh, but yes, that is a, just a perfect example of me uh, rebelling against not the rule itself, but the idea of a rule. Right. And associating that. And that's my own – I mean I'm really revealing sort of this psychological defect that I have, but I I immediately associate any rules whatsoever and any guidelines with being restrictive and being ceremonious right. and that I sort of resent the ceremonious nature of that, which right. is a little bit silly on my well, part. Well, it sounds like that's because we were never – we never like had to fall in line with that. Like you went to NYU, went to theater school, yeah. Where it's not you know Stern or some business school. That's right. Where it's like the whole spirit is to like find yourself, find right. your place in the world, and then use that to make a career. That's out of true. It. You know, if you're if you are like I have friends who went to business school. All yeah. my Long Island friends more or less went to business school. Yeah. And they are just straight and narrow. Got to be structurally sound. Operate as a team this way. Know the rules of the ceremony. Perform the ceremony on a daily basis. That's right. what we do, and that's how we. Live. Right. Yeah. But I mean, we were even as caterers, we would do some ceremonies. Like we would do the Sweet Sixteens. Oh, we would do the bat mitzvahs at the Museum of Natural History. Yeah. Some of the most over the top. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. Coming of age, million dollar, completely unnecessary parties. Yes. One could possibly be invited to. Pretty hilarious. Yeah. Um, I think that my, I mean, personally, when I start to think about kind of like my relationship to ceremony and formality, and I know that this is something maybe I've I've talked on the podcast before, but um, it it sort of I I would say was birth. With like, uh, I really took my cue from my parents, who have been guests on the podcast, yes. and are deeply informal and casual people. Um, they do not stand on ceremony. There is very little uh, formality in their nature and in their livelihood. Mm. Um, and so when we were celebrating Hanukkah, for example, or even my birthday growing up, it was like the gift element like wasn't a big thing. It was I know that like the birthday gift and the Hanukkah, the holiday gift, that is like a that's a ceremony that right. exists absolutely. And that is you know we gather around the tree. Everyone opens it individually. You watch, you comment, you applaud. It's like a, it has. This is how Americans celebrate. Okay, everyone's doing this tonight. That's the gift giving ceremony. Yeah. My dad, three days before Hanukkah, would say, "What video game do you want this time?" And I would say, "Bulls vs. Knicks," or like you know, like Jordan versus Bird, whatever. He was like, "Great." He would go to the electronics boutique in Crossgates Mall, buy the thing, throw it in the plastic bag, and then give it to me. And he was like, "Here you go." Here's my question. <laughs> Would he fold the top of the plastic bag down so that there wasn't air coming in, therefore it was wrapped? Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean, and yes, he would do that. That's in a bu- That's wrapping. <laughs> that's a ceremony. That's wrapping. That's, that's... If he left the top open, it would be a shopping bag. That's right. No, but he, you fold it down fold just it. a little bit. Now you have something to open. He's not a monster. Good. <laughs> so your your upbringing with um, ceremonies is uh, completely different than yeah, mine. None. I would say that at least in the. So I'm from Long Island. Yes. Um, where everyone is. 
seemingly upper, upper middle class yeah. and competitive. Yeah. And if you so in the ten that movie by David Wayne oh, the my ten, God. Love was, it. if you've seen if anyone's seen it, it's so funny. Hysterical. But there's a scene where two neighbors get really competitive over uh, cat scan machines. Yeah, that's right. One neighbor finds out that the neighbor has just bought a cat scan machine. He decides we're buying two cat scan machines. <laughs> yes. Before you know it, both of their houses so are covered in cat scan machines. Yes. So in Long Island, it wasn't cat scan <laughs> machines. It was bar and bat mitzvahs. Oh, boy. The first one that came out, the first bar mitzvah of my generation was probably Jared's college basketball or Jared's baseball bar mitzvah. We got all got a shirt that said, I hit a home run at Jared's bar mitzvah. Very fun. Perfectly fine. Yep. The next one shows up, yep. and you could tell their parents spent five thousand more dollars yeah. on the party. Yes. Well, you cut to the end of middle school, and now you're on like bar mitzvah thirty five forty, and this is an actual invitation I received I feel in like the I'm mail. Af- I'm afraid to listen to what you're about to say. So, sitting at home playing Nintendo, congrats. Uh, knock knock. It's some delivery man, and he has a box. I'm probably thirteen. He has a box that I would say is uh, a cube, a four foot tall. Cube made to Billy Scafuri. Huge cube. There's nothing at that age. I have never ordered anything. <laughs> I haven't put my name on an application. Anything. You're 13. Any, no, my parents wouldn't want that. So <laughs> no. now that I'm delivered this box, it's like the hell's in there. Um, this is your the first piece of mail that you received in life. Yes. It was a four foot cube. Ominous. <laughs> okay. My parents aren't home. Yeah. I guess I signed for it. Yeah. And in crayon. <laughs> right. Yeah. Bring it inside. Cut it open. What's waiting for me? is a like really strong and beautiful balloon four feet tall doesn't float but like sits upright yeah dude i know the balloon of which you refer okay inside that balloon is a teddy bear the teddy inside ba- the balloon is a teddy bear yes probably like a, a sizable teddy bear in this four foot balloon huge that teddy bear suffocating is holding a, a fancy cardstock envelope oh good that has my name in calligraphy. Just your name, Billy Scafuri, in calligraphy, held by a teddy bear inside of a balloon. You look at the, you look in the balloon, you see your name, and you say, "Well, I've got to get that card." <laughs> so you get a pin, you pop the balloon, okay. And what that does is, there's confetti bedding the entire Come balloon. Come on! You pop the balloon, confetti shoots all into the air. Get the hell out of here! Like you don't care. Okay. Like a, it was like a precursor to the glitter bomb, almost. It was. It yes. was. It was a 1996 glitter version bomb. of that. Yeah. And. Uh, I open up the envelope, and this card probably cost, this invitation probably cost, I'd say, $300 or so. It was so, so gratuitous. And I open up the card, and I was like, wow, this bar mitzvah is probably going to be off the hook. And I couldn't go. You couldn't go! (laughs) (laughs) Kind of busy that day. Wasted money on the invitation? Got a soccer tournament. But it it just got so gratuitous. What kind of, like, who's catering your bar mitzvah? Like, how much did you spend? Okay, we're going to spend a little bit more. They got to know that we have this. Good old Long Island. It literally is that scene from the ten, but it's not cat scans machines. It's bar mitzvah invitations, which just somehow feels even more absurd. No matter what it is, it's competitive. Yes, in Long Island. One might say that it, uh, in terms of the invitations, they were really continuing to raise the bar mitzvah. Yeah, you might, be, you might say that Very if you nice. were pun, if you were inclined to pun, and you wanted to make a dumb comment like that, you could say that. You are big pun. <laughs> you are big pun. I am fat Joe. Thank you. There. Um, we are at the act break, Adam. Great. We're talking Jewish festivals. We're talking. <laughs> We've never played a Jewish song or like a traditional Jewish thing. Okay, great. You probably know one or two songs. Yeah. This might catch some people by surprise, but is there a Jewish song out there that you think? Uh, okay, well, really this fight? is this is one of my personal favorites. I'm going to reveal my mushy sentimental side here. Uh, there's a song called Yerushalayim Shalzahav, which means good Jer- luck downloading that, Billy. <laughs> How the hell am I going to find that on iTunes? Is beyond me. 
Uh, the English translation is Jerusalem of Gold. Oh, okay. So uh, this is a very traditional Hebrew song that we would sing in my very traditional Hebrew school, which had many traditional ceremonies, all of which I resented. Uh, but this song is actually uh, really pretty. Well, we've had Method Man, we've had Red Man, we've had The Firm. Now it's time for Yerushalayim Shel Sahav. You guys all know the name, and so do I. So let's test and see if Adam knows the name of that song. Adam, what song did we just listen to? I'm a little nervous, but I think it's pronounced Yerushalayim Michel Zahav. In the traditional Israeli pronunciation. Wow, did you just transform into a 70-year-old Israeli man. 
Wow. Oh. There should be like a to- like an app yeah. where it's like instead of auto-tuning yourself, you can Israelite yourself. Auto-Israeli. That is auto-Israeli. Yeah. Because that, how you just said it, is how it's said. Jerusalem Wow. <laughs> you sort of have to like put all of your vocal, whatever, in the back of your throat, sort of like like get sleepy. Right. Yeah. Yes. And like sort of let it tumble out. Well, impressive yes. work. Thank you, An Bill. impressive uh, song drop. Yeah, yeah. Super nice song drop. I mean, look, that's the one thing about ceremonies is that like, you know, like I said, I went to a Hebrew day school growing up kindergarten through seventh grade. Right. Not necessarily. My parents are not religious. My family was not religious whatsoever. Right. Uh, Jewish. Then why, then why did you go to the Jewish school? Because uh, I think it was a better school than the public school. Oh, really? A lot. I think that's a very popular reason why, like, I think, I feel like half of the kids that go to Catholic schools or Hebrew schools, it's not in any way related to their faith or yeah. like religion. They're just some, sometimes in some areas of the country right. are just better schools. Okay. That They're makes sense. Sure. Um, and I think that's what my parents would tell you. I have a few questions about Jewish school leading into your bar mitzvah. Bring it on.com. Great. So I'll start from the bar mitzvah end first. Great. Are all bar mitzvahs themed? That was a huge thing in Long Island where once the um, ceremony was done and then you would go eat sesame chicken for the next three hours and get high on Coke, Coca-Cola. Eat sesame chicken for the next three hours? That's what a bar mitzvah was to me. Were they all themed? Like, is that a national thing? Because it could be like Jared's comedy bar mitzvah yes. or like Steve's college basketball. Mar- I don't know. Yes, I had a slam dunk of a time at Steve's bar mitzvah. Did you um, have a theme on yours? I personally did not have a theme on mine. It is very traditional, obviously, as you know, to have themes because 13-year-olds are fun and, and they have interests. you actively said, I don't want one? Or was it not really normal where you were doing your mitz? Again, I think it kind of relates to the thing that I talked about in the first act, which was like, I don't want to – I resent the obligation to put any thought or attention or time into the ceremonial aspects of an event. I just don't want to. But you just did school and led up to the ceremony. Did you have a party after your bar mitzvah? Oh, of course, of course. So you had a party, but you didn't want to them- make it thematic. I just didn't care too much about a theme. I didn't. I'm no a little... pushback from your parents saying like, hey, you have all these interests. We can get these fun baseball cards for the table. Not at all. Once again, my parents were as, I think I got my um, value of informality from them. So they didn't care one way or the other. Got it. So then did your rabbi, uh, was he double? proud of you that you weren't tainting this coming-of-age ceremony by hanging uh, Beetlejuice posters on the or wall? Or John Stark's dunking on Michael Jordan posters everywhere? I yeah. mean, like, I had the impulse to, maybe, but uh, I don't think it was really in the rabbi's sphere of concern, mm-hmm. my uh, <laughs> yep. theme or not theme Got it. for my bar mitzvah. Uh, but the bar mitzvah itself, now that I kind of reflect on it, I really haven't thought about my own bar mitzvah in a while. Let's reflect. Let's reflect. So, you know, they start training you at like 12. Training and, you? Yes. What the hell does that mean? Because so at, I mean, maybe this is old information for many of our listeners, but the bar mitzvah is the Jewish rite of passage ceremony going from a child to a man or a woman. It Got is it. The confir- it serves the function of the confirmation. You are sort of reaffirming your faith as an quote unquote adult. You're 13. So when they're training you, they're making you do wind sprints. <laughs> and... Oh, I wish. Yeah, exactly. The opposite of Judaism. Right. Wind sprints is the opposite of Judaism. <laughs> um, so uh, tri- every uh, bar or bat mitzvah has to do, I think it's called the Haftorah, which is like depending on whatever weekend on the calendar that you're being bar mitzvah, there's a particular Bible passage, I guess, okay. that corresponds with that week. It's like just like in church, it's like the sermon for that week is this. Would you say that there are some weeks that you come with a pretty bad Haftorah and you actually reroute when your bar mitzvah is going to be? 
You can't. Well, I mean, that is that is a hilarious question, okay. and absolutely because some Bible stories are fun. You know what I mean? Like you get like uh, Jonah and the whale, or oh. like Noah's Ark, or like you win the lottery and get like the Exodus from Egypt week. I, I could see those same competitive <laughs> Long Island parents <laughs> fighting over April seventeenth because that's the one with the whale. He des- My little Jared deserves the ten plagues. Yeah, he, he deserves the ten plagues. He's a good boy. <laughs> He's a good boy, and I'll slip $10,000 in the rabbi's <laughs> Give him pocket. the 10 plagues. Give him the 10 plagues. Right. So uh, I wish I wish I could tell you what mine was, but it's it was fine. not something super – it wasn't one of the big marquee Old Testament stories. Sure. Like uh, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. It wasn't about, Judah right? and the Maccabees. You know what I mean? It wasn't the, the Passover story. Okay. It wasn't uh, you know, it wasn't Noah. It wasn't the flood. It was one of the minor ones. I can't exactly remember what it was right now. But the I do, Jim stubbed his toe on a cer- was, cemetery? Or? Exactly. Jim stubbed his toe on a cemetery, <laughs> and that's the Bible passage. It was like something very pedestrian like that. It really was. Okay. <laughs> um, so what every bar mitzvah has to do is memorize the Haftorah, which is like the Bible passage itself that you then have to sing according to the incredibly specific notes yes. uh, that you learn and that you study with your rabbi and or cantor for like a year. You have to be off book? Not only do you have to be off book, you – that the so this is how it works. Is that like you learn – the you learn the song in the exact notes, which are like super atonal and specific. Oh, that sounds awful. Awful. So it's like atonal and specific almost don't make sense together. Precisely. Okay. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, so, and again, I'm saying it with the sort of like through the filter of like how silly is the ceremony. So I'm definitely adding a lot of judgment, in, even in the tone of my voice. I'm trying to be objective and the whole thing sounds bananas. It sounds bananas as hell. Um, so you have to learn this very specific Bible passage that is sung with very, very specific notes, which are atonal and seemingly random. That when you train, uh, the way that the Hebrew language is, that each uh, letter comes with a vowel, and that's how you know whether it's like ooh, ah, e, a. The, the, the vowels are sort of external, like two dots below the letter, okay. or like a little sort of like whipsy do above the letter. This is what indicates uh, the vowel sound. Okay. So you're reading this foreign language, you're singing it, you're learning to sing all of the vowels, and then on the day, on the bar mitzvah day, yes. you get up on the bima, you know what I mean? You're at the chul. You stand on top of a BMW? <laughs> Come on, Bill. <laughs> you go up to like the little platform with the canter. It's like on the day of the bar mitzvah with your whole family and friends in the audience. Like this is the day. Okay. On that day, they uns- they unspool the like the parchment scroll of the actual Torah. Okay. And that you have to sing the thing that you've been training to sing with vowels and with little demarcations for the past year. Yes. You have to do it, and there are no vowels. Why? Why is this a thing? That's like the test you need to like met because uh, like in the ancient Torah, the way that it's like sort of scrolled, they don't have vowels. It's like just th- the letters with no vowels. What does this prove exactly? It proves that you have trained and memorized this thing. Okay, and the thing is, I just I'm just so confused about what you knowing this thing is that something you take with you? Is that like a story that you're supposed to take with you for the rest of your life, or it's literally just a commitment to the faith for a year? Prove that you can do this difficult task in the name of our yeah. Basically, I, I would say the latter. I mean, it's like, you know, every week at temple, the right. rabbi, just like every week at church, the rabbi or pastor or whoever has like that week's sermon. Right. So the function of the bar mitzvah is like, and now this week, you, young man, get to lead oh, the sermon. Okay. Okay. So that's what it is. It's just like, so part of that includes spending a year, your entire 12th year of life. Yes. You know what I mean? From like mid-12 to mid-13, learning this incredibly arcane and ancient passage with this ancient scroll, with these vowels that don't make sense, and this tune that is completely atonal and random. Right. And then having to do it basically blind with no vowels. 
on the day. If I had to do that, I would need a release, yeah. and that release would be a thematic bar mitzvah. Would be a thematic bar mitzvah, yeah. So you get through that really long, excruciating year of like buckling down, doing this thing, Kinda, then having yeah. to perform in front of an audience where yes. it's actually harder than you had been training for. Absolutely, yes. It's over. Congratulations. You yep. get your pin. You're a man now. <laughs> your pin. Yes. You they guys... actually do give you a kiddish cup on like a Bible and like very stock things from the shul that are like Jewish things. Okay. That, yeah. That's really <laughs> – that's the swag you want. Oh, yeah. That's the swag you want. Maybe we'll start selling kiddish cups on uh, nojokepodcast.com. <laughs> no joke kiddish cup. All right. Well, no joke dot kiddish. All right. So we'll get there. We're just kiddish. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you leave the temple. Yep. You go immediately to the reception? Um, it, it can go one of two ways. No, you. Your bar mitzvah. Okay, we went right to my Nana's apartment complex. And- oh, <laughs> finish that sentence. I'm sorry I interrupted you. So you guys are party <laughs> animals. Yeah, once again, to speak to the sort of informality of it, we went right to my Nana's apartment complex, Bethlehem Terrace. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> They had a common room there with maybe a pool table, but I want to just say chairs, just chairs. Did uh, she go to your bar mitzvah? Of course. Oh, okay. So, so proud. So the, you guys went with Nana back to the party spot, the community room in her Jewish living space. That's right, for only old people, just mm-hmm. to give you a sense of how living dangerously we were. I haven't been to this part of your town, but I have to assume that there's literally no other rooms in existence. This is the one room, because why would you go there of all the of celebratory all places. places? Exactly. So, I mean, my, my Nana, the Bethlehem Terrace wasn't exactly in Voorheesville proper, the tiny town. It was like a couple towns over, so okay. there were many old Jewish ladies to live there. Okay. Um, but yeah, dude, it was super weird. Why not a restaurant? Why not a fun zone? Why not a place where you could celebrate and let loose? Once again, informal. It's the easiest. Nana already lives there. It'll be cheap. She's old. It'll be happy. It'll be good for her if she's just like home. Right. We were like sort of catering it. You know what I mean? It was like just whatever the... Again, not for better or worse, but my family, when it comes to ceremony, it's like very path of least resistance. Okay. So what's the easiest way to get the ceremony done? End it. And let's get it done. Right. You know what I mean? Like my that, – that's kind of where we're that coming from. That falls in line. You've talked to you about your mom, I think, in uh, like the travel episode perhaps where you mentioned oh. something and she – anytime you were like, you should try – go this place, she'd say – Nah. Yeah, exactly. We've often, we've often joked, and this is a good idea. Maybe I shouldn't say it on the podcast, but we've often joked about making a website that was called tripdispiser.com that's travel for people who hate travel. And it would just be my mother's reviews of travel places. So if you are a graphic designer who listens to this podcast or some a web designer or someone who can help contribute to this, maybe yeah. it's an app yeah. designer. Yeah. Get in touch with us. We'll put you in touch with Adam's mom. Yeah, we're sitting on a good idea here, I think. Say it again. Do you mind? Tripdispiser.com. Not TripAdvisor. Tripdispiser. Right. It's for travel tips for people who will never travel. This episode comes out in a few weeks. Buy that domain name yeah. before this episode okay, comes out, that's Adam. That's a good idea. That is a great, great pun. Our friend Rebecca also suggested, suggested buying the domain name. Maybe I should do that. Yeah. Tripdispiser. Gotta buy a domain name. Duh. Oh, yeah. So, so yes, the ceremony the, uh, and sort of piggybacking on that point, yes, my parents are sort of very loose with the ceremony. So we went to my dad's apartment complex, had gefilte fish, uh, had some turkey, had some cold cuts. That was really just family cousins, out-of-town cousins. Yes. Later that evening, mm. we went back to the shul uh, oh. because the shul also has an all-purpose room for fun. After the party is the after, after party. party. New yeah. grandma. Exactly. <laughs> What's popping at the shul? Uh, We're talking like 6.30 p.m. It's late. 6.30 p.m. <laughs> it's late. And that's the traditional what you've come to expect. DJ, inflatable guitars, Shirley Temple's flowing. You hired that DJ? Your family hired those inflatable guitars? Yeah, we had a DJ. I don't think we I – mean, inflatable guitars is a trope. I don't think I pr- at particularly specifically at mine had inflatable guitars. But right. that's when that would they would have appeared. Okay. And so that you was the did tradi- do a traditional thing too. Yes. 
Good. Yes. That's good. The lunch at Nana's was more for out-of-town cousins. Good. And then later in People the evening, who required ramps. People who required ramps and who had bought plane tickets to be there from uh, places at faraway lands such as Pennsylvania. Wow. So they came. <laughs> Western Pennsylvania the, to upstate New York? So like sort of to give them a little bit of respite from their journey, they hung out at Nana's place. And then I also had it catered uh, by this really great place called Bagel Bite. Shout out Bagel Bite, Albany, New York. And I had them at the Bar Mitzvah Boy. I'm sure I've told you this before, make me a customized plate of gefilte fish only for me, just for me. Disgusting. Thank you. We have talked about this before. I'm sure that we have. The one huge takeaway I learned, and actually, I think it was in the first episode. The very first, I think. We talked about gefilte fish. Oh, God. You told me that it's a fish that doesn't require refrigeration. That's right. And it's the salami of fish in that it is obviously not a fish found in nature. It is the mishmash of other gross fish. Wow. We're approaching the... Uh, <laughs> We're approaching the second act break, and I would say we should play a song by Fish. Oh! But all of their songs are 14 minutes. That's right. There's literally, I can't think of one song that is under six. That's right. This podcast would be an hour and 55 minutes if we played one Fish song. That's right. Well, one of my, one of my favorite Fish songs is Short and Sweet. Uh, it's the song Sparkle. I don't know. I mean, man, I'm really revealing my upstate New York hippie roots here. But uh, my favorite Fish song is the song Sparkle, and that, I think, is of normal radio length. Okay. Then let's play Fish. Sparkle. Sweet. Oh, 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 oh,
That was the song Sparkle by the band Fish. Right. Prerequisite listening for anyone that grew up in the tri-state area or the Northeast any time in the late 20th century. Yeah. You Fish, have. Fish is a really cool band. Yeah. Like, I just think that they're like a... They're just so cool. They're awesome. You know, they just know who they are. They don't pander to anybody. They have a huge following. That's right. You need to be that level cool to write a song called Sparkle yeah. and not make your audience feel embarrassed saying it out loud. And the chorus being laugh and laugh and fall apart and something that sort of like twee and not wanting to puke. Yeah. But they do strike that balance. They do. Yeah. I mean, they're cool dudes. Yeah. I remember I actually met Trey when I was interning at SNL. Really? Met, met is so relative. Briefly, met cross means paths that with. Yeah. Met, me, met in, uh, implies that he showed interest in <laughs> Not that he didn't. Yeah. But when you're interning at SNL... Between the, um, I believe it's bet- uh, between the dress rehearsal and the live show. Yeah. It might be before the dress rehearsal. Everyone gets dinner together. The musical guests, everybody. Yeah. And it might have been like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Who was the musical guest. Like just like a cool guitarist. Cool. Maybe not Stevie Ray Vaughan. But cool. uh, just like some cool guitarist. And he was bringing Trey Anastasio. Cool. To- and so Fucking when you're at cool. SNL, it's all just like, you just don't know what's real. You have to assume that like. Just a potpourri of icons. You just, just have to assume that it's all real. Oh, yes. Like, if, if somebody looks like that person, more times than not, it's probably just that person. Yes, yes. And so I brought some sort of weird meatloaf or something over to the table, <laughs> look up, and there's this incredible redhead. What's up, Trey? And I think we were with our friend Ben Craw, and we both kind of gave each other just the one look, mm-hmm. just kind of like mm-hmm. me and Ben, like, that's him. <laughs> Small talk. And that's it. Yeah. But then you could tell that story 10 years later on a podcast. On a podcast, yeah. Yeah. And I got to say, it really – hearing you say that like every – that like certain traditions and ceremonies are worthwhile and amazing. Of course. And to me, it's the ones that are generated – that are like organically generated or arrive naturally. Yes. And like SNL, like we have talked about on this episode, is so riddled with ceremony and tradition, the sort of Wednesday night all night right and the dinner before the thing and the dinner – the Lauren takes everyone to dinner after the show. And like there are these built-in ceremonies that like are organically created. Right. And I feel like we have those too. We would perform – Harvard Sound Team would perform every single Friday night for years and years. And we would stop at the same deli to get the same props, to get the same Red Bull, to get the same right. thing. And ceremony, and uh, to me, those are ceremonies that are meaningful to me. Yeah. As opposed to ceremonies that are imposed upon me. I guess That's I wouldn't. I, would I guess I wouldn't, unless we were doing a podcast about ceremonies. Call going to a deli every week uh, a ceremony. Right. I'd probably find a different word for it. I'm not saying that what you're saying doesn't hold weight. A ritual. A routine. Uh, yeah, a routine. Yeah. When I think ceremony, I think more like pageantry. Yes. Uh, slightly like elevated out of like reality for a second. Right, It's right. like a departure from like uh, how we do things because this is how we do things in this environment. But on this special day for this special ceremony, right. it's elevated and heightened. It's the wedding day. Right. Right. It's the bar mitzvah day. Right. Yeah. Um, on that subject, did you watch the opening ceremonies for the Olympics? I did. I, I, I half watched half of them. If you watched all of them, yeah. your retinas would explode because they were on for like 15 hours. It was forever, right? They announced countries for something like five hours. And wow. kudos to NBC for airing every single country. Sometimes they would go to commercial breaks. Yes. But they like stuck through. Yeah. And it was fascinating to me. There were some countries that have like – they said their country's population and how many Olympians. Yes. And they had some that were like populations of like 18,000. That's nothing. And two people are Olympians. Amazing percentage of the exactly. population. Amazing. That was my read. I was like, yes, America has like 550 Olympians and that's amazing. But we have a quarter. Two of out of 18,000 is bananas, <laughs> yeah, seriously. man. Seriously. Yeah. Um, but it was really – it was uh, – 
as a kid, I remember thinking this is really fun. We talked about it in the Olympic episodes. Yeah. How in like Lilyhammer or somewhere they shot the flaming arrow. Yeah. All these kind of things. Brazil's big. Do you know what Brazil's kind of like? The like uh, we're showcasing our natural resource right now. This is what we do. Enlighten me. It was Giselle walk doing the catwalk for potentially the last time hundreds of feet she usually only does the catwalk for the length of a catwalk this was hundreds of feet a super long catwalk by one of the greatest walkers to ever walk that cat a tall and pretty lady walked on a flat surface (laughs) you know brazil (laughs) it was i remember thinking like what is going to be their big wow moment yeah i was surprised too because on Twitter, you know, it's just like one-stop shopping for sass. Right. You're looking and for snark. You're looking for snark and sarcasm. Just go to Twitter. Yep. So I was looking for my brethren to just come in with some <laughs> body blows yep. on the decision to make Giselle the catwalk champion. Yes. Everyone's like, she did a great Into job. Into it. That's hard. Hell of a walk. Hell of a walk. Hell of a walk. Hell of a walk. Hell of a model. Yes. And also, I believe that there were some of the opening ceremonies that I did see was that uh, the like, samba dancing. I feel like samba was a big part of okay. – maybe I could be wrong No, here, no, but sure. I feel like it was like the samba dancing was – also heavily featured. Right. Because Giselle kicked off the opening ceremony. That right. was like sort of towards the beginning. Yes. And then after they had announced all the countries and they brought the Olympic torch in and then there was like more celebration. Oy that yoy part yoy I saw. Yoy. And it was heavy on the samba. How are you going to samba after five hours of countries? Super heavy on the samba. You need to be drinking a lot of cafe con leche to stay <laughs> awake during that, man. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like I have revealed plenty about myself in this episode. Not only that I have a decent Israeli accent. Start and end there. Yeah, yeah. Decent. Are you kidding me? That's the other app. Yes. That's the other app. <laughs> Besides Trip Despiser. Yeah. Uh, and that I've liked fish and that I had a bar mitzvah and that I love gefilte fish. Right. Uh, gefilte fish, the food, and fish, the band. Right. Uh, you have revealed a lot about yourself. I yes. will say that uh, about 20 episodes, 20 episodes yes. ago, I revealed uh, three acts of I'm Haunted. So Yeah, I it's guess kind that's of... true. You really ripped off a, sort of a big Band-Aid there. <laughs> that's my big one, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's so <laughs> I shouldn't feel so sort of uh, bad about being just, so confessional. Just saying that it it comes and goes. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you revealed that you went to your nana's after your bar mitzvah, and yep. I revealed that I have ghosts <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to have a follow-up episode and I just want to sort of like bring it back to that I mean yeah. we made sort of a request during that episode I believe it's episode 20 nice ghosts. you're very good at that I believe I have that weird memory for that yeah um, the Alan Houston episode yeah um, but if there is anyone out there still with ghost experiences or experiences with the supernatural yeah well, I would personally love a follow-up episode yeah and sort of a second Kind of a, version of that. An ask we had in that episode was um, if anyone in the Southern California na- uh, area is or knows a psychic uh, or medium or someone in that realm yeah. um, who might be interested in talking more about it, potentially on the podcast, tell them to email nojokepod at gmail.com. I would be fascinated to talk to a psychic or a medium. Yeah. We got a great responses after that episode. I remember a lot yeah. of people were like, took it seriously for the yeah. first time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. These guys aren't wackos, but they're talking about a thing that's wacko. <laughs> that's right. So yeah. maybe they're wackos by osmosis. Yeah. Or maybe I could be a wacko too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, we've been to uh, a lot of weddings together as guests. We have. Bill. We have. Um, and uh, uh, Maggie and I, in the effort of full disclosure, are sort of like starting to think about getting married ourselves. So uh, we have been been forced kind of to think about ceremony in that way and like yeah. exactly how we want that ceremony to go. Would Okay, yes. Go again, on. because, like, again, as I've said a million times, my inclination is to be very unceremonious. Right. But you do, to your point, the the 
if we're going to be snarkless and free of cynicism for a second, yes, of course. The function and the beauty and the joy of a ceremony is that it does make the event or the day feel heightened yes. and special and other than and different from. I think that's why we do it. That's nice. Right. There's something nice about that. And as I even just reflect on the bar mitzvah thing, I'm so glad that I did that weird thing. Right. That means nothing to me spiritually, but everything to me gefilte fish wise. <laughs> uh, so much of it, I mean, this is coming from a person who wasn't bar mitzvah, right. isn't married, um, hasn't really had a ceremony wrap around them mm-hmm. in that capacity. Mm-hmm. So much about it is the pictures. You got to have the photos. You know what I mean? It's like you just need to have the memories. Yeah. I go on vacation sometimes. We talked about this on the memory episode. Yeah. And like I don't want to. Like I don't want to be, be doing this and I don't want to be here. Yeah. And I'm, but I'm here and I'll yeah. take the pictures and I'll do what you guys want me to. But like I wouldn't – I didn't choose to do this. Um, but then you go home. And then you got weeks of Instagram lined up. And then it's like ret- you you love the experience more in retrospect and retroactively. You can't have solid throwback Thursdays yeah. unless you do the things. Okay. So you got to heighten the world. You got to get ceremonious. I guess that's what we're learning. If the only reason – not the only, but the main reason to get married, to have a bar mitzvah, yes. uh, to have a baby shower, to have a bachelor party, yes. to have a birthday party yes. is for the throwback Thursday. Mm-hmm. That's why we do it. Mm-hmm. That's why you do it. We're talking – it's the third act of the No Joke podcast, and we're trying to talk about our futures with ceremonies. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is necessarily a future, but there are two things that I have uh, feelings on based on weddings on social media. Let's hear it. Okay. I don't mean to offend anybody if this relates to you. This This is is just something I've noticed. Number one, Mm -hmm. everyone on Instagram gets married in a barn. (laughs) I think everyone in 2016 gets married in a barn. Why? Why does everyone love hay so much suddenly? Dude, I'm telling you, we Maggie and I have seen like a handful of wedding venues. Do you think Are they barns? Every single one. Why? <laughs> okay. Everyone gets married in a barn these days. I'm just gonna put it out there. Hang up some tea lights in a barn. That's a wedding. It's a 2016 wedding. Yep. So we can discuss that if you want, but everyone's getting married in bars. I think it's like the romantho, the romantic nature of pastoral and rural and bucolic, and it's like so there's something earthy about a barn. Right. So I think that something about it feels um, like fundamentally sort of earthbound. Yes. And also in a lot of these beautiful places where people like to get married, I can speak for myself, these like farmlands. Yeah. It's a farmland. Yeah. So there's a barn. But I agree with you. That's a huge trend. And th- there's no judgment behind it. I've been to many a barn wedding in 2015 <laughs> and 16. you have. And I loved it. And the pictures are lovely. I'm just saying, why is everyone doing it? Okay. It's just an interesting trend that I've noticed. And it's a definite trend. Yes. Yeah. My second feeling on weddings and social media okay. in 2016 yep. is that no one's going to remember your wedding hashtag. Yeah. That is a trend that it's just like, it's a burden for everyone not at the wedding at this point. Yep. Yeah, the hashtag. That's a bit of more of a, that's a bit more of a, a petty complaint. That's what we're here to do, complain about petty things. Right. Um, I, I, I have always interpreted the hashtag less, not so much as a branding device, although it certainly is, and well, sometimes yeah. people get cute with the puns, just as a photo cataloging function. And that definitely matters. Of course, but still, I'm, no one's going to remember I'm the I'm just hashtag. saying that it seems like a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to master what our hashtag will be. Happily ever, Ashley. That's fine no, and yeah. fun. No. It's fine and fun. <laughs> I'm just seeing the amount of... I could just read into the work that yeah. people are putting into yes. it. It just seems like... How our wedding will read on social media, yeah. that needs to be thought out more and more. Yeah, that is so true. And that's half hashtag, half barn. Half hash- 
It is. Li- what is wait. our hashtag? What, what is, is our, our what is our barn? We'll figure out the date after that. <laughs> we'll figure out if we love each other after that. It seems like those are the first two things. Like you sit down, it's like, honey, will you marry me? Yes, I'll do it. Okay, great. I have this pad. We need to figure out a hashtag Check. and what barn do you want to get married? <laughs> And we'll take it from there. <laughs> right. Is it a funny hashtag? Is it just our last names? Do we focus on your last name a little more than mine? Exactly. There's what if we s- just named our kid hashtag? Is right. that better? Yeah. Very good. I feel like the ha- – I mean that points to that thing of like we're going to sound like old crotchety like the two guys from the Muppets. But mm. like it's just – it is funny to me the hashtag ubiquitousness. Uh, it's, I mean, like now it's just, now you just put a hashtag before any idea or word or thought or feeling. And it's, we have a few minutes left in the episode, but Adam, this is a great, we worked on a show called Unite. Oh, we worked on a show called Unite That's right. on ESPNU. That's right. We were at the time working for Funny or Die. Yeah. Funny or Die then partnered with ESPN to make a late night television show. That's right. That late night television show then asked us to make a piece of content every week called Four Minutes Long yeah. where we would kind of write, direct, star, just kind of like go away, do this thing, Little come video back, segments. and we'll air it on the show. Right. And we watched, we were in New York shooting those. We were living That's in right. LA at the time, but we were in a hotel room watching the first episode go down with high expectations and high hopes. And ESPN had never done a late night show. It was like breaking all these like barriers. It was like an experiment. And Twitter hadn't like kind of come to the assumption now where everyone has Twitter and That's stuff. Correct. It was like we hadn't quite figured out the voice of Twitter and how hashtags and at symbols and everything else technically works. Yeah. And you and I were crying our eyes out, each in our twin bed watching this little flat screen in the hotel room because every word, every word that they said would appear on the screen as a hashtag. They could, like literally every word they would say like the big game tonight and we'd be like hashtag the hashtag big hashtag game hashtag tonight. It would be like what do you think Jim and do would be hashtag. It was like they don't know how this works yet. <laughs> And what it was, hashtag do you think hashtag Jim? I remember like it, there wasn't even like an organization of like how the hashtags were like it would just be like on the right corner and then like suddenly be like bottom middle left. It was just like where, how do you think hashtags? What do you what think, think this they is? Are? Yeah. God, that is so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtags have just come to mean here comes a word. Right. It's just like get ready for a word. But they will be for your wedding and yep. they will be. At a barn. Absolutely. So if there's any tips, I mean, this was actually an informative episode to me. Yeah. If you're going to go and ahead and plan a ceremony, make sure you're locked on the barn. Make sure you're locked on the hashtag. Yes. Make sure you have a caterer that will specify a filter fish plate to your needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and make sure that your Nana has a common room. And until then, just visit tripdispiser.com. Tripdispiser.com. Right. For all my mom's loathsome reviews of places she'll never go. Very, very funny. <laughs> um, well, your bar mitzvah sounded like an absolute blast. It was a dream boat. Uh, and so did this episode. It was awesome. Another good one. Yes. For the No Joke Podcast, I am Billy Scafuri. I'm Adam Lustig. And we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>